Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to book three, chapter five, The Beach. Now, you told me, uh, as we were talking before recording, that this is, was an episode that initially you were not a fan of. I would say it was probably top three most hated. Wow, is it on lists of most of like most disliked episodes? No, this this is Annie Berglund's most okay. disliked. But I did look at the bottom fifteen episodes uh, according to IMDb ratings, and it wasn't in the bottom fifteen. Okay, I think, I I think people like it. Like it seems to be favored. It's like it's a fun. It's like an interesting combination of people that you don't really get to see, like just their average everyday life. Um, <laughs> I think Mike and I especially just truly hated it because it was like, we just want to get to what is happening Mm -hmm. uh, and it can feel like a filler. Um, But I think it's really important to have like not only the B plot. So actually I was reading that originally the, so most of the story is about what I call the fire friends. So Mm -hmm. Azula, Zuko, May and Tylee. And the that was originally supposed to be the B plot for this episode, and the A plot was supposed to be um, the assassin who we get to to kind of meet again uh-huh. in this episode. And they switched it around; they wanted to build this out more. And so the way that they conceptualized it was like, we are going to make the Breakfast Club, but Avatar Breakfast Club, which is great because that is something that you mentioned literally last week to me that you wished. <laughs> <laughs> they would do yeah yeah it's it's kind of insane so i i watched this on my 44th birthday uh well, with my family and i i emailed you almost directly after and was like i cannot believe what they did yeah. like it's it is uh i i adored this episode but again it's like it kind of depends on what breakfast club means to you and not even that they're referencing it but do you like the kind of piece of culture whether it's a tv show or a movie where like kind of stuff doesn't happen but you create this space where people are like forced together and coming to terms with things like like it's it has like a stage play element to it i mean this that okay it's overstating it but like this could be it's it's the breakfast club but it could be a like eugene o'neill play if, if there was more drinking right if they were yeah more of them were like drunk irish salesmen or something like like it feels like that like like it's like everybody's just putting their stuff on the table their issues on the table yeah. which is what which is why breakfast club is great i think breakfast club would be a, such a fantastic stage play because it might yeah. as well be in this you get into that moment where it's like everybody's taking their turn revealing something about themselves and and you get to see other people react to it uh and i i really really loved that uh can i propose can i propose another name for the the fire friends did you call them yes yeah okay because we called azula may and tylee we referred to them as the mean girls right before okay and now we have Mm -hmm. we have zuko so it doesn't work because zuko is not a girl but that makes me think of another set of girls that also has a boy in it, which is the Dairy Girls. Yeah. <laughs> so I want to call them the Scary Girls. <laughs> yeah. Because they're kind of terrifying. And then you can include Zuko in there because he's just he's just one of them. Zuko is an honorary scary girl. Yeah. Right? <laughs> that works. <I> love it. <laughs> and they are very scary. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. I also I, I also like... think oh go ahead. No, no, go for it. 
I also think this episode, and we'll get into this. Um, what as the more I thought about it, it it is a great picture of when you think about high school, and I think this probably transcends generations. It comes before my time and after my time. When you think about high school, what it means to be cool is so undefinable and you can't make it happen. And there isn't a formula for it because what we're dealing with is we're, we're dealing with the most powerful teenager in the world is in this episode. And she's struggling with the fact that even, even if you have wealth status, unbelievable power, that still doesn't mean you're cool. Right. And I find that fascinating. Yeah. Because like like what a high schooler, what a teenager defines as cool, you can't like pre-program, you can't engineer it. It just is or it isn't. Uh and it's and it's interesting to watch Azula wrestle with that. Yeah. I also think it's a really I think that I liked it more even coming off of the last couple episodes where we start with um, communities that are colonized or we hear about colonies or we see less affluent parts of the fire nation. And then now we see the elites of the fire, like the elite children of the mm-hmm. fire nation, like that, like not even the elites, but their kids, it should be the picture of privilege. Mm-hmm. And yet we get to see some backstory to like, not everything is great and perfect for them too. like, they have also been burned by the fire nation in different ways. Um, and, and that's maybe why life isn't always that easy. And at the same time, it doesn't remove their privilege, which right. I like, it doesn't mean, you mean like you can feel for them, but you're like, and, and actually I mean, we should just get into the episode. It's why I actually, <laughs> it's why I actually love the ending of this episode, Yeah, which is like a difficult, like problem ending, but it's like, it's actually kind of perfect. Yeah. Uh, let's let's get into it because because yeah. yeah, and yeah, I guess I would say like one more thing before we get into it. <laughs> um, that like yes, the privilege is still there. It does make it more nuanced. It gives me more empathy and really like you know I'm not a fan of Ty Lee. May is pretty annoying like half the time, and Azula's just a piece of work. And yet I love May at the end of this episode. Like she, throughout the episode, she's amazing. Azula, I like am on her side rooting for her much of the episode, mm-hmm. which I never would have thought. Like, this is somebody who almost slash maybe did kill Aang. <laughs> like, never would have thought that. So it's fun that they kind of toy with the audience, it, it, like our emotions and, and kind of like make us like the villain. Yeah. And, and I will say I went into this already feeling like Azula was one of my favorite characters. Um, and like, so like, so like, we, I think feel like we are coming from a little bit different perspectives. Uh, and this just was like even better, even better. Yes, yes. Okay, should we jump in? Let's do it. Okay, so we open up with a shot of the ocean uh, above, and we see what I described as a whalerus. Did you come <laughs> up with know. that yourself? Whalers? Yeah, I, don't, I love it. I, don't I love know. it. Okay. <laughs> but that's what it is. I don't even care what Avatar Wiki says. That's what it is. I I tried to to, uh, to look for it on Avatar Wiki. wasn't there, so I just called it a whalerus. It looks like a whale and a walrus. And it's in a harness and it's hauling this ship that's like looks kind of like an older style, but really still really nice Fire Nation ship. And uh, the the scary girls are on board. So we have Azula, May, Tylee. 
and Zuko. Um, and I wrote, you know, it's kind of weird that I feel like the Fire Nation could have probably provided them with a crew and like a larger ship. So it's kind of weird that they're like in this small ship with a whalerus and like presumably no really adults around them. Like it just mm-hmm. seems like the whalerus has its directions <laughs> it knows to bring them to Ember Island. Uh, maybe that's the route it takes all the time with people. But um, anyway, uh, Ty Lee says, she kind of tells us where they're going. She says she's really excited for their vacation to Ember Island. She says, it's going to be great to hang out on the beach and do nothing. And Zuko is sitting next to May on board and he says, doing nothing is a waste of time. We're being sent away on a forced vacation. I feel like a child. So how, what is your take on vacations? Are you more of a Tylee or more of a Zuko here? I'm giving you a false choice of those are your only two choices. Oh, man. Okay. I cannot relax on vacations. I need to be seeing things, walking around. I need to have tasks that I'm doing. So like laying on a beach and just relaxing and reading a book is nope, nope, I can't. How about you? We are a pair of Zuko's, you and I. <laughs> now I, I am I am married to a Ty Lee in terms of this. Like I'm married to somebody who vacations really well. Uh, and I'm I, I'm kind of Im- I'm very impressed by it. So like I don't look down on people who do that. I actually look up to them. It's like you're like a more they're like a more fully realized person than I am. But yeah, I'm like Zuko. I would be I just pace around. Like I I feel I had uh, I turned my grades in yesterday and all of a sudden I woke up this morning and was like, what do I do with my life? Like, <laughs> if I don't have stuff to do, I get worried. So I am a, definitely a Zuko here. Yes. Where are my to-do lists? I get that. A little type A maybe. So um, Azula says, lighten up Zuko, which feels rich coming from Azula and says, so dad wants to meet with his advisors alone without anyone else around don't take it personally. She gets that. I think she will always side with her dad on these big uh, war-related actions. And the friends, uh, we realize that they're headed to this family house um, on Ember Island, a part of the Fire Nation, um, that Zuko and Azula had vacationed to every summer when they were really little with their family. Now, what's fascinating about this setup already is we realize that two people who we look at as these really powerful, well, especially Azula, we look at as like, she is the Machiavellian figure who is (laughs) like moving all the chess pieces in global politics. Right. Mm -hmm. But this is a reminder that she's a child and she is just being sent away. And Zuko is just being sent away. So the adults can do the adult stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to see them relegated to childhood. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, was I, something to I wrote a little bit later on, kind of thinking about why they chose the term Ember for Ember Island, and like how because I feel like this this series especially is really tuned in on what you name things, and so Embers are there's like kind of two definitions that I think weave throughout this series or throughout this episode. First of all, is like the more literary way of using it like embers of the past right so like memories of the past that are fading emotions or fading memories and something can trigger them so that you remember it again Uh, but it's kind of like deep and hidden in your past so like these fading memories and then the other part of embers that i thought about was like they're glowing fragments of a fire um that are dying but they can actually be a lot stronger than the flames that they came from and so like 
even thinking about how forest fires are started like you know when you go out camping and you build a fire and it's like we need to stomp out we need to not only make the flames die down but we need to make sure all the embers are gone because a lot of times forest fires begin from these tiny little embers uh, that were left left outside and not considered right like um they seemed so small and insignificant perhaps underestimated that you didn't know that they would grow and, and create this massive destruction of everything around right so like I think a really interesting part that frames this whole episode is like you have these Fire Nation youth that are probably the most powerful people in the Fire Nation, uh, perhaps maybe aside from Iroh. Like, I don't, I don't know where Iroh stands in this. He's kind of like over and above everything. But you have these like little embers of the Fire Nation and like they are potentially very dangerous. And yet they're also kind of vulnerable and fragile and a little bit easy to snuff out because of how young and fresh and new they are. Um, and so like you can just douse it and they're gone. So I feel like that's kind of what is under all of this. Maybe why it's like a twofold way of looking at this episode. I don't know. Oh, this is I've... also just me <laughs> grabbing at straws. Is that the No, that's that, that's some brilliant like like literature major stuff. Like that's great. I love that. <laughs> I'm going to give oh, you thanks. one more definition for ember in a moment, but I'm going to yes. wait on it. I'm going to wait on it okay, until okay. we get to it. Okay, I'm excited. So, um, we, so, so Azula's like explains, you know, we're sent away. Zuko expresses on the ship that he has kind of some reservations about going to the island because, again, it might dig up some of these embers of the past. And so they reach Ember Island. And there's these rows of like beautiful, spacious lake homes. So again, think of Fire Nation elites, right? This is not a colony. This is where you vacation to. And um, they come to a small port. It's not very densely populated, obviously just summer homes, but clearly expensive. And at the end of the dock, uh, waiting for the scary girls is Lo and Lee. And those are the elderly twins that we met before. Um, who are training Azula in her lightning bending. Um, and they welcome them to the island. And behind them, we see what I had originally thought was Ozai's house, but I think it's actually Lo and Lee's house. Does that sound right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay. So it's the, the house of the twins. And so like we see all of these beautiful summer homes, and then this, like, it looks like a shack next to all the others. And so the friends are, like, not impressed. Yeah, and, and um, what I love about that is it, it's sort of this picture of like, I mean, these are clear, these, these two women are clearly like important because they are training Azula, right? They are yeah. important, powerful people. They are her trainers, her heralds, her mentors. Um, but they sort of come from this like uh, more established, kind of maybe like older money kind of thing, right? So they have, and they have this, this, what is a nice house, but like a far more modest, like very old house. And then around it is like new money McMansions. And it's like, they're, <laughs> they're gaudy. They're so huge. And like, there are these people who are trying to like show off their money in a different kind of way. Um, and it's mm-hmm. a, it's actually like, it's this great, it's a great visual image that you could almost miss. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids though are again, not, imp- they, they want the new stuff. They want the modern, um, uh, luxuries. And so they enter the home of Lo and Lee and they see that it's decorated with what 
could only be described as like old woman flair. So they have like Pepto-Bismol, pink colored cushions, uh, lots of knickknacks kind of like lining every surface um, collected probably over the years. We see like contrasting patterns on the walls and the floors. Like it's, it's pretty rough and there is a lot to take in. And Zuko says it smells like old lady in here. And May kind of mutters to him, gee, I wonder why. And uh, this, sorry, go ahead. Oh, so this makes me think of, of the other definition of embers. And this is kind of a joke. Um, but when you hear embers, what comes to mind as a Minnesotan? Embers. I don't know. So there, I don't think they exist anymore. I think they're closed. But there was like a chain of family restaurants called Embers. Oh. And it's like. It, it's like where your grandparents would go and eat like <laughs> breakfast. So it, like seeing like this old, these old, this old, these old twins, like if they lived in Minnesota 20 years ago, they would like every day go to embers and get their like discounted coffee and, you know, yes. get like order off the, um, the senior menu at embers. So it made, it made yes. me think of that as well. I'm positive that the people who made this show were not thinking about that, but that's yet another definition of Ember. Oh, absolutely. I could see these ladies like getting their eggs over easy and like a little bit of bacon on the side mm-hmm. every yep. morning. Mm-hmm. An yeah, English yep. muffin without butter, something like that. You know, yeah. <laughs> yes. Dry English muffin. Um, so, and then this is also the start of May just having the best attitude, which is like a terrible attitude. But um, I really like May in this episode. She's clearly the funniest of all of them she also seems the most level-headed of anybody uh and i'm kind of just on board with her which again is something that i think has shifted a lot in me watching this as a 29 year old versus watching it as a 17 year old well it's interesting because when you first encounter may uh at the beginning of season two she seems like a caricature of like teenage ennui (laughs) like the angsty teen but it's like and they, they make a lot of jokes about that. Like she's very gothy and like, oh, like it's like like all, about all the things she hates and stuff like this. But it's like she actually is more well-rounded than that. I like I, yeah. I really, really like really, really like that. Yeah. And you realize it's not so much about her doing that for anyone else. It's just it's just her. Yep. Um, so we see Ty Lee finds this large portrait of two young women in bikinis. Now, Ty Lee. I also appreciate her in this episode, too, because she always seems to be trying to find something good about her surroundings. Mm -hmm. Uh, So very much the opposite of May. uh, But I like her positivity. So she sees this old painting, this portrait of two young women posing, kind of dancing. Their butts are touching in a really strange way. Um, But she asks uh, Lo and Lee who those beautiful women are in the painting. Um, those beautiful young women and Lo and Lee then make the exact same pose. They stick their butts out at each other. Um, and then we see the friends staring in astonishment, making the connection between the portrait and the, the twins and Zuko gags. <laughs> uh, and then we move on to the next scene. I also have some Lo and Lee appreciation after this yeah, episode yeah. too. So Ty Lee flops on a nearby bed um, and she's like, I love this seashell design on the bed and like looks really comfortable and actually genuinely enjoying herself. And May responds, it looks like the beach threw up all over it, which is not wrong. Like kind of accurate for how the whole place looks. The set design, if you can say that in an animated show for this is perfect. It's just like, yeah. We have all been in a home like this, Uh, right? 
Yes, 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 yes. yes. I, I know a couple that I've been in. So um, after their house tour, the twins uh, address the kids and they say, like, look, we, we know you may not be thrilled about being on Ember Island, but they say, keep an open mind, give it a chance, and it can help you understand yourselves and each other. Uh, they also are always speaking in unison and kind of always speaking in like vague advice or like sage wisdom <laughs> yeah like like kind of proclamations too yes yes um like i almost expect it to rhyme and so then one of the sisters picks up a decorative stone on a nearby table and says the beach has a special way of smoothing even the most ragged edges and azula yawns and um the sisters say excitedly okay time to hit the beach right like they know okay <laughs> this will only go so far let's do what you came here for um, and then they rip off their robes to reveal their swimsuits and may cover Zuko's eyes. Uh, another great comedic moment from the writers. Yeah, this was, this was uh, quite a visual joke. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to describe without just watching it. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it is a kid show and they, yes. you know, but it they make like fun of age. <laughs> yeah, but they did it. It was so great because like it was very real. Yeah. Like like anybody who's ever like gone swimming with your grandparents, it's like, yep, nailed it. It's <laughs> I, I feel awkward, but you nailed it. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the youth are so unforgiving sometimes. <laughs> well, it is it is interesting because, you know, like we we talked in the last episode about, you know, Iroh working out and all this stuff. And like the this this show uh there's a lot of bodies in this show, you know, and you see a lot of like these like hulking male bodies and, and, you know, young people and this stuff. And it is, it is interesting. Like it's the downside of Iroh working out and, and looking ripped is like, I kind of liked fat Iroh, you know? Yes. And it's like, Oh, so cause, because that, that, that said something about him, you know? Yeah. Um, so like, like this, there is some, I, I like the way that they embrace age in a different kind of way here. Because these seem like very fun ladies to hang out with, actually. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I truly love them. <laughs> so, um, like we said, there is a side story. We do have a little bit of Aang gang going on. So, um, Aang and the crew, we see them relaxing in a hot spring, uh, remembering that the scenery of the Fire Nation is based upon the trips to Iceland that the creators made, right? So they're outside of this hot spring that was made by a crater. So it's kind of like deep within the ground. And Toph expresses some concerns about Aang's choice to go swimming. So she says like, look, it might not be okay for you to be exposing yourself in this way. Um, and Aang kind of joking around, he's floating on his back in the water, Momo snoozing on his chest. He's like, what? I'm wearing trunks, right? Like, I'm not exposing myself. Um, but Toph says, it's not that. It's the tattoos, right? Like, they might give you away. And let's remember, and... Toph is blind. <laughs> yes. And she and sees like, it. Right, right. She's like, I'm sensing this is not okay. Um, but Aang is excited to be there. He continues floating along with the current and he realizes that the current is leading him to this kind of natural, almost like a water slide built into the crater uh, that, that empties somewhere else. Right. So um, being Aang, he's like, this seems fun. And he just goes along with the flow of the water and through this big water slide, um, cheering and laughing. Momo's with him. He's having a great time. 
I loved this because it's been a while now since we really saw really like young Aang youth. Like this reminds me of penguin sliding Aang, you know, he's just like, he's here for the fun, which is, is a nice reminder that not as much time has passed as we feel like it has. Yes. Agreed. It's, it's nice to have an uninterrupted smile on his face for a second. Right. Right. So, meanwhile, we get uh, a shot of two Fire Nation soldiers, young guys. They're sitting at a lookout, and they're fanning themselves in the sun. They're clearly bored, not much to do. And one of them complains that this has to be the most boring job in the Fire Nation. Nothing ever happens. Uh, And so, as if on cue, Aang and Momo fly out of the crater water slide that's above a second pool. Um, So they're kind of like launched out of the water slide and drop into this pool below. Um, And they're not protected by any canyon walls anymore, so they're completely exposed. Uh, But Aang is still laughing, having a great time. The soldiers hear him laughing and they get out their binoculars or whatever and they they spy they they spot his arrow tattoos and realize immediately that this is the avatar and so they uncage a hawk a messenger hawk that they have and they tie um, a little ribbon to him a little rope with a with a message and send it to the fire lord i love these guys because like this this is the last time we see them in this episode but it's like this is their best day ever they're like yes. we just like like this 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 piece of gold just fell to us right like we have information about the avatar that's presumably what our whole job is and we get to write this message and we get to, and they even talk about like i forget what they say but like it's like a black label message yeah. or something so it's like yeah mm-hmm. we get to send the most important kind of message and our names are on it cuz we this is, i love it i love their excitement about uh, about this opportunity <laughs> Yes, I have an interesting piece of information about that as we get further on. We don't meet them again, but that wasn't the original intent of the episode. There was actually an ending for these two soldiers. Uh, but oh, it was interesting. Cut out. Mm-hmm. So we'll get there. So, but remind me. Okay. So, uh, back on Ember Island, we're on this crowded beach. It's during the daytime. The sun is hot. We have uh, a lot of wealthy Fire Nation spring breakers kind of surfing, tanning, enjoying the weather. And um, the four friends stroll towards the water for their own beach day. And we see them kind of, this episode is a lot of talking, a lot of dialogue, but it's also a lot of like each of these characters on their own doing different funny things, right? So first we have Azula stomping cruelly on a sandcastle nearby, and like the two small boys who spent probably all day building the castle, like run away and cry. And Azula's just really proud that she destroyed their day. Uh, we then get Tai Lee, who's taking off her backpack. And uh, this like scrawny, kind of awkward teen approaches her, asks if he can unpack her stuff. Um, and he sets up her towel for her and everything. And then he kind of sits around like a loyal dog, just waiting for the next direction. And so. He's just standing there. There's kind of like this pause between the two of them. That's a little awkward. And then she's like, well, could you just like stand a little to the right? And so he moves and he ends up blocking the sun from her eyes. So like clearly she's very used to this kind of male attention. Um, This is something that I read on Avatar Wiki. I did not know this phrase because I have not seen much much, uh, anime, but it's called fan service. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, it, I guess it's a common 
thing in anime where you are like kind of exaggerating the beauty of a character. And so the two people that they're fan servicing, I guess, are um, Azula or sorry, uh, Zuko and Tylee. So Tylee's like in a bikini looking very cute, um, looking very attractive. And then Zuko also, we get a scene of him like with abs and everything. So it's like very, it's like probably the most anime feeling scene of the series so far to me. Sure. And, and fan service goes beyond that. I mean, it is, it is, uh, it's, it, it is a product of the internet. Um, because it because the internet allows people to express desires for things like oh we really want uh, an episode where this happens we really want to see this right so uh, I would say this is sort of a creepy version of, of fan service if you think yeah. about it that way. I mean a, a, another thing would be um, if you think about the uh, the last Star Wars movie um, the last Jedi right that was fan servicey in a in a bad way where it was like people were upset about um, Oh, they were upset about the last Jedi. Sorry, Rise of Skywalker is the last one. They were upset about the last Jedi. So the Rise of Skywalker was fan servicey to a particular toxic part of the Star Wars fandom to be like, well, let's just give you exactly what you want, right? So, the, so fan service is always a tricky, uh, a tricky uh, line to walk. Now, what's yeah. interesting is this is the, the fact that you bring this up shows that. So this is season three. So there was two years, presumably, of fan community growing up about around this this is in 2008 i think by the time this comes out so like you know we're, we're in sort of full-blown internet culture at that point so it is it'll be interesting to see what are other what else feels like fan servicey moments because people write their own theories and fictions around the first two seasons so as you're creating season three you have all the ideas you want to do, but then you can't help but hear all this input that you maybe didn't ask for. So that's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, and I think the part that makes fans, like the the use of it specifically in anime for fan servicing is like making something super sexy, right? Mm -hmm. And like over the top sexual. And so apparently the first drawings that they did for this episode, they had to tone it back. And they had to like cover up the kids a lot more because it was like verging on even more uncomfortable. And I would say this episode, part of the reason that I didn't like it the first time I watched it was because I felt uncomfortable by it. Like mm -hmm. it just felt like too much when it's like these are 16 year olds. <laughs> right. And that was right. when I was 17, I felt uncomfortable. So now right. as an adult, even more so. But um, I get like this is a move or a show for kids, like whatever. But um yeah, yeah. So, so like they had to tone down that artwork quite a bit. Wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> right? Because, uh, yeah, it, like it is. Some of the outfits they're wearing are quite revealing. But yeah. Anyway, so um, Ty Lee has an admirer already within seconds of being on the beach. Then we go to May and Zuko, and they're sitting side by side under an umbrella in the shade. Um, and Zuko's in like swim trunks and a robe and May is in kind of a, just a comfy beach outfit and they look almost like they're happy. Like they look mm -hmm. pretty content and Zuko spots a nearby shell and he picks it up and he looks at it a little and then he offers it to May. He's like, I got this for you. <laughs> and she's like, why, why would I want that? And he said, I saw it and I thought it was pretty. Don't girls like stuff like that? And she was like, maybe stupid girls. And Zuko gets frustrated, right? And he's like, I, I'm trying. So he throws the shell and yells, forget it. 
And then the shell lands nearby this really hulky Fire Nation, like, man. Like, this is a man, which also makes this episode kind of uncomfortable. Like, I I don't know. He's not supposed to be a teen, right? Sure. Yeah, he is. He's just like, like, because this is, this, that's the funny thing is the scrawny guy you were talking about in this guy. The way the way that uh, hormones work, like they could be the exact same age. Sure, it's just, sure. It's just this is somebody who, who like hit puberty a lot earlier and then <laughs> tried to maximize that and probably used chemicals to make it even more so. <laughs> like he's like right. roided out big, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he is. So he grabs the shell that lands nearby him, and he sees Tylee, and the same thought runs through his head as did with Zuko. And so he runs up to her and he gives the gift to Tylee and she takes it and she's like, oh, I love how pretty it is. And uh, steroid boy then answers, not as pretty as you are. So we have a successful shell giveaway. I need to say, so I said I watched this on my birthday. Uh, another thing I watched on my birthday, this maybe is revealing too much about my wife and I and the things like the random things we watched. We This is not a show we have seen since the 80s, but we're like, Let's watch an episode of The Love Boat. That would be kind of funny. So, oh. you familiar with Love Boat? No, absolutely not. No. 70s, 80s, like something between a sitcom and a drama. Um and it was a it was a show about a cruise ship and like it just cuz because the nice thing with the cruise ship is that you have your set of people who work on the cruise ship and then you have guests who you can have guest stars every week cuz it's like, oh, they're on this week, they're on the cruise ship, right? So you can so like you can cycle through b-list celebrities a lot so anyhow none of that matters so we watched we watched it because it was just like campy fun to watch but one of the things i realized is in this we watched a two-part episode so it's about 80 minutes is the num i i realized i said to ann i think i could write a love boat script because all you need to do is the woman says something like aren't the stars beautiful and then all the guy has to say is not as beautiful as you so it's very funny that that and then because it happened like four or five times in the thing we watched and it's like oh that happens in this episode as well it's just like like so now i'm just whenever whenever ann and i are together whenever she says something that i can turn around in that formulation i do and it's it's very awkward and great no i'm sure it works every time yeah flawless absolutely (laughs) so uh meanwhile zuko's like okay i struck out with the with the seashell try again so he goes and grabs two ice cream cones for him and for may and when he offers it to may the scoop falls off the cone and lands in her lap and she goes thanks this is really refreshing so again things aren't looking great in that relationship right now i love that zuko's trying though like yeah and i will say this feels real like, you know, yes. it, that, that this feels like there, there are these moments where you're trying to figure out like, like, what is my role supposed to be here? And he's like, okay, well, this feels very, especially the gift giving part of it. Like oftentimes you, you can have a friendship or a relationship where you're like, okay, like this is great. But then it's like, okay, like somebody's birthday's coming up and it's like, well, how do I calibrate the right gift? How do I give a gift to somebody? You realize like, I've never given them something. I don't know what they would like. I mean, to yeah. the extent of like, I've been married for almost 20 years. With the exception of an engagement ring, I've never bought my wife jewelry because I know like I am incapable of (laughs) picking out some, she doesn't wear a lot of jewelry, but I'm also incapable of picking out something that I would get right. I would do, I would get the seashell and she'd be like, why this is not, you know, like she'd be very nice about it, but it's like, I, I have a feeling I would pick the wrong thing. 
So I actually, yeah. I, I appreciate this. No, me too. And it's not like it's ending with them fighting. Like they're both being really good about it. And so it's kind of endearing. Yeah. yeah. It's just yeah. The, it's the start of a relationship again. Like they're rekindling. Yep. Um, and it's laying some tension, some tension that we get to play with later. So yes, exactly. So then we see Azula um, who is watching some teens playing on a beach, this like volleyball like game. And she is a competitive person. So she sees them playing and she's like, I'm next. I need to play. So she calls the gang over to play. And we see again, like <laughs> this fan service classic shot of Zuko ripping off the robe he was wearing and revealing his abs. And as he does, like the music changes and it's kind of like, oh, and then there's like doves flying overhead <laughs> and a group of nearby girls are shrieking and giggling. So it's just absolutely over the top. <laughs> um, but what some fans were looking for. And so the friends begin their game of now. I don't know how to pronounce it. I don't know that they even mentioned the name. I don't think they all. do. K U A I ball. Kwai? Kwai ball. Yeah. Um, so it's like volleyball, but you're using your feet mostly to kick the ball over the net. And apparently it's based off of a Southeast Asian um, game and uh, called, oh no, Sipak Takra. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. And um, similar thing though, right? Where it's like, with that, it's a volleyball net, but you're again just using your feet. Mm -hmm. um, to but there's very little fire bending in that game, right? Yes, as far right. as I'm aware. Um, so they are in a huddle. Um, it's their turn to play, and Azula starts to point out weaknesses in the players on the other team, like minute details that are all pretty scary, actually. So she's like, yes, that girl, she is the strongest person on their team. She has a, the slightest hesitation of her left foot. So we need to aim the ball to the left side of it. Like just, um, she was like, clearly this comes from some uh, physical trauma from her childhood and mm -hmm. is like diagnosing this little hesitation in somebody's body. I love this because this is also like Azula showing her true self. Like, like, <laughs> Because because she is also somebody who can't vacation well. So even when it's like we're going to play volleyball, it's like okay, well I have to be competitive. I have to rule the world, and I have to manipulate every angle. It's like she is just doing what she does does successfully in the world of military and politics. Is just now it's like she needs to apply that to this game, which seems a little yes. over the top. But I I totally um I under I totally understand that right. Like I I, I joke about myself being in a, unable to whenever I get a new hobby I turn it into homework like it becomes this thing that like I can only take everything that I do at work and it's like I'm just going to apply all that same energy to this and it's like and then it becomes this other thing which yeah is a problem so yeah and, I feel and, for Azula I feel for her too and clearly she can't like social cues she needs to work on quite mm -hmm. a bit and like being somebody who's a royal like member of society like a part of the royal family it's like everything's kind of been given to her she probably doesn't really know how to interact with normal like non-royal mm -hmm. people and or people which, who aren't just going to bend to her every mm -hmm. desire which is why the other lesson of this episode is that may and azula are or excuse me may and tylee are pretty good friends yes because she doesn't have friends like and she's a tough person to be friends with, so. Right. She doesn't have friends, and, like, it's easy to see why. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so after they, we kind of get this montage of them 
doing these impressive scores and azula's team clearly wins <laughs> can but... i throw one other 80s reference that i i, yes, I yes, didn't even please. write down but i just thought of uh this is uh this is maybe maybe a slight reference to the uh the classic volleyball beach volleyball scene in the movie top gun <laughs> oh <laughs> which the top gun famously has this like um has a, a volleyball scene where they they're on the beach and they're playing they're playing volleyball top so gun i like yes and they're, they're 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 playing volleyball shirtless in jeans on the beach um oh. it's yeah and i would say it's a little bit of um it's a little bit of fan servicey there too in terms of like showing off bodies a little bit so yeah right i, just, I think this is know, a reference <laughs> yeah i've never seen top gun but knowing enough about it it seems weird to have a volleyball match it was it. see you know you know something about top gun but you don't know enough about the 80s then it's like of course <laughs> there's the beach volleyball scene <laughs> um so we get the the top gun scene and at the end azula's team clearly wins and the net is like left on fire and so the opponents are all thrown backwards their hair is all singed and Azula stands looking through the fiery net and she raises her arm slowly above her and says, yes, we defeated you for all time. You will never rise from the ashes of your shame and humiliation. And she like relishes in this moment. And it, okay. So this, this made, I don't know, I'll, I'll bring up a point later. Keep going. Okay. So yeah. she, she has this like little mini monologue, which she does a lot in this episode. And then she turns to the other three and sighs and is like, well, that was fun. What's next? And then two guys approach, um, Chan and Ron, Ron John, and they watched them play. And so they approach them afterwards and they're clearly like very smitten with Ty Lee as well. And so they go up to Ty Lee and say, hey, you and your friend, referring to May, um, are, are welcome to join us to uh, with Chan's party tonight. And Azula and Zuko are clearly offended that they were not invited. Um, so Azula's like, why not me and my brother, right? And um, she's like, do you even know who you're talking to? Uh, but as the guys are like, do you know who you're talking to? And trying to one-up Azula and Zuko... Um, Zuko looks like he's about to start a fight and Azula holds him back and doesn't reveal their identity as Fire Nation royalty. And so in the end, all of the friends are invited to the party. Uh, Zuko and Azula are kind of an afterthought, but they're excited to be invited. So we then go um, back to the home of Lo and Lee. It's sunset on Ember Island. And they're all eating dinner together on a porch overlooking the ocean. And so we like the cultural moments here. So there's um, kind of a nice spread of food we have on the table. So it looks like sashimi and like raw fish dishes. There's a lot of huge bowls in the center, like for sharing purposes. And then they're all seated on the floor on cushions uh, around one of the low dining tables that are pretty common in Asian cultures, or at least East Asian cultures, um, as far as I know. So... Uh, that's kind of like the setting for this on the porch. And Azula explains that she was really intrigued by the idea of people not knowing their identities. So that's why she didn't explain that she is royalty to uh, Chan and Ranjin. Um, she likes the idea that maybe sometimes people aren't worshipping her. She's like, I love being worshipped. I love being treated like royalty. But it's intriguing to see how people would respond to me otherwise. 
and she's like, for once, I just want to see how people would treat us if they didn't know who they were. And then Lo or Lee, hard to know which of the twin sisters, but one of them says, like waves washing away the footprints on the sand, Ember Island gives everyone a clean slate. Hmm. Ember Island reveals the true you. And so the twins then stand up in unison and yell, arms raised, to the party, right? So they have like their moment of... <laughs> I wish they went in. to the party too. I know, we do. I almost thought for a second that they would. Um, so we get some of the revealing of perhaps a metaphor with Ember Island revealing some about uh, who these people are. So then we get an overhead shot of a long winding river and we see the messenger hawk from earlier soaring above. But then a vulture-like bird, much bigger and stronger than the messenger hawk, flies after the hawk and overtakes it and uh, grabs the rope from its pack and wraps it around the, the messenger hawk uh, and intercepts the message and then gives it to the assassin. So the vulture hands the message to the assassin who reads it. And then we see him singe, like burn a hole in the center of the paper. And all of it is then uh, on fire, right? And, and it's unclear how he burned it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Super important. Here's where the interesting part of the story is that they had to take out. So not only did they take out like the sexier parts of it, but they also took out that originally they were going to have the assassin murder the two guys from the start to, to cut off everything that would have gone back to Aang, right? Like it makes sense. I wondered about that because, because this is something as my daughter Esme brought up is like, so these two guys know that the avatar is alive and they're just still out there. Like you could send another message. You could tell somebody. So that's really interesting. So do we believe canonically that he does that and we just didn't see it? Like, I think that it was in one of the original screenings. It just didn't make it onto TV. So I maybe out there. Okay. Like, I think the whole scene was developed from start okay. to finish and like integrated into the episode. But I like it that. wasn't aired. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that. I like that. And I don't sense. know that they could have shown him just kill two people. Right. It was definitely seen as too brutal, yeah. <laughs> too violent for a kid's show. Um, so then we are back on Ember Island and we see Azula knocking on the door to Chan's house and Chan answers and he's like, oh, um, you're, you're really early. No one's arrived yet. And Azula says, well, I heard you telling someone you'd be partying from dusk till dawn. It's dusk. So we're here. And Chan says, yeah, but you know, that's just an expression. <clears throat> and Azula says, we are the perfect party guests. We arrive right on time because we are very punctual. And she's just like taking everything ultra literally because I think there is some lack of like social ability with her. Yeah, right? like, yeah, yeah. She just doesn't know how to interact with people her age so in a normal way. She reminds me of, uh, well, one thing that comes to mind is there's a, I can't remember what season is. I think it might be season three of The Office or maybe it's season four um, where there's a, a, a party at David Wallace's house and Michael comes really, really, really early. And he says, if you want to become a, like only friends come early. So if you want to become a friend, you come really early to a party. So I thought of that as, as they, as they showed up early, I thought, Oh, Azul is like Michael Scott, which was also somebody who does not pick up social cues very well yes. or like understand like 
how to make s- things work socially and who desperately wants to be seen as cool, but doesn't understand what cool is because there's a way to which Michael Scott like tries too hard. Right. And this is also, this is an episode where we see Azula as a try hard in a lot of kind of ways. Right. Like, yes. Um, she can't just play the volleyball game. She needs to literally destroy the people that she's competing against, you know, like, like, and and we we're going to see this in all these other places that, that it's like, well, of course I'm cool because I am the best and I am the most powerful and I am the wealthiest. And I, it's like, it's like, she wants to know the formula for what does it take to be cool? And she can't do it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I love it. Yes, exactly. And similar to Michael Scott, I feel like if she had entered the party and realized she was dressed the same as the people who were setting up the party, she would have swapped with someone. <laughs> right. She would have changed her clothes. Be like, I can't. That would have like been awesome. Servants. That would have been awesome <laughs> if, like, she forced May to change clothes with her or something. Because <laughs> yes. you know, May would be like, "Fine, I don't care." Right. <laughs> so. um Chan shrugs and he's like, fine, you can come in. Just don't mess anything up. He's like, my dad's an admiral and he's away on business and he doesn't know that this party is happening. So can't have anything broken. Can't have anything out of place. His dad's Admiral Chan. Uh, Oh, yeah. From season three. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That is awesome. uh, yeah, our, our water tribe friends are overtaking the, the Fire Nation ship and they have to pretend to have direction from Admiral Chance. So little connection there. Did you Nothing come up with that on your own? It. No, I found it. Okay, I was going to say, wow, that's a great poll. That no, is awesome. I can't. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. I found that one <laughs> from from someone else. <laughs> so um, Azula, then we, we see her attempt to flirt and kind of this whole episode as every time that Ty Lee is being approached by a man and, and flirted with, Azula is always clocking it. Um, and it, it becomes more of something that digs at her as the episode goes on. Similar to May and um, Zuko and, and their relationship kind of butting heads and getting worse off as we go. So Azula attempts to flirt with a very disinterested Chan and says, that's a sharp outfit, Chan. Careful, you could puncture the hull of an Empire-class Fire Nation battleship, leaving thousands to drown at sea because it's so sharp. And <laughs> it doesn't really go over well. Chan's like, okay, thanks, and like keeps walking. This this um, <laughs> makes me think of uh, Katara last episode trying to make jokes oh. and like not really knowing how. It also, like, it's interesting because... Like, it makes me wonder, like, Azula almost seems like somebody who's maybe even on the spectrum a little bit. Like, she just doesn't understand, like, she, like, she understands kind of how things should work if there's a particular system. So even that joke is like, there's a logic to that joke that makes sense, but it's like, but it's not a joke. It's, 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 she, she's become, she becomes a much more fascinating person here. Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, it's like, yes, yeah, same with Katara. It's like, man, play to your strengths. Know your audience. Like, <laughs> don't make jokes if you can't. Don't flirt if you can't. Or find a new way to. So, Ryan Jian um, says hi to the crew while he's kind of fixing his long, beautiful, flowy hair in a mirror. And Zuko looks at him and says, ugh, he thinks he's so great. And then he turns to Mei, who he's walking next to, and says, well, what do you think of him? And Mace's like, I don't really have an opinion about him. I hardly know him. 
and Zuko obviously becomes jealous and he starts to glare at Ron John. Um, clearly thinks that May is into him, though he has no evidence. And finally, who knows how much longer they had to wait, but the, the party begins and the rest of the guests arrive and the dining tables are full of seafood dishes. And we have a group of bros that are kind of like standing around asking each other how they know Ty Lee, as if this party is Ty Lee's and not Chan's party, right? right? So they're like one-upping each other. There's a lot of jealousy between them. I met her then, I met her then. And we realize that they're all talking and surrounding uh, a trapped Ty Lee. So she's like kind of backed up against the corner watching these men fight over her. And they wait for her to have a response to say who she like likes. Like <laughs> they really need to know mm -hmm. who she likes. And she doesn't know, she can't answer, she feels trapped, so she jabs each of them and paralyzes them to escape. Which is pretty great. Um, and then she goes to find Azula and starts to complain about it, about the boys trying to advance um, on her. And Azula says, come on, Tylee, you can't be this ignorant. Those boys only like you because you make it so easy for them. You're not a challenge, you're a tease. It's not like they actually care about who you are. Okay, so I told you I would point out Breakfast Club moments. There yes. is a moment in Breakfast Club where Bender tells Claire she's a tease. Oh! So it's like if we're building to Breakfast Club, like this is a moment where we're getting we're getting a little we're getting a little bit of that. Yes, so. this is like the first sign. Yep. There's going to be more. There's oh, going to be so more. So much more. <laughs> So um, she's a tease, right, and, and insults her. And uh, Tylee begins to cry. And Azula actually shows remorse and, like, kind of apologizes. Like, she doesn't say the words, I'm sorry, but she's like, I didn't mean it to come out that way. And she's like, look, actually, this reflects more on me. And, and she even admits to a weakness of being jealous of Tylee. Which is so really, like that's a yeah. Which That's is like re a really big moment. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and and that that actually is bigger than an apology. It's saying like, I actually, you have something I don't have, and this is the thing I keep talking about, which is Azula realizes that Ty Lee has a a kind of cool. She's cool in a kind of way, and May is a cool is cool in a kind of way, and Azula is realizing she's not. Yeah, and she's like, that is the thing that I am jealous of. That's pretty cool, and it's like pretty unattainable it's just something that they have like right because it it's because be it's effortless right that, that's exactly yeah. right that that it doesn't it is not a there's not a thing they're doing if we see that that azula just tries to replicate what ty lee's doing that doing that doesn't make her it does doesn't make her cool and and the other thing that, that i like about it is that may and ty lee couldn't be more different and yes. both of them are cool <laughs> you know yes. and both of them instantly read as cool to the people at this party and Azula's like, it's like, well, what are they doing that I'm not? Yeah. So then Tylee, like, she can't believe it, right? Because she's like, and she says this with complete sincerity, very genuine and kind. She's like, Azula, you're jealous of me, but you're the most beautiful, smartest, perfect girl in the world. And Azula is like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, but... Uh, you know, like, uh, for, whenever I meet a man, it seems like they're just scared of me, which is true, right? And Tylee's like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, that's how it is. But then Tylee offers Azula some advice. And she says, just, we, you know, when you approach a man, just look at him and smile a lot and laugh at everything he says, even if it's not funny. 
And this, like, watching it and writing notes on it, like, writing those words down was so sad. Like, it was honestly just very sad. And they play it off like a joke and, and whatever, but, like, reflecting on it, you have somebody who is beautiful, smart, outgoing, strong, like, perfect in a lot of ways. But she doesn't see it. She sees it in her friend, who's, like, the queen bee. And she only, like, re- mechanically refers to this way of getting men to like you that's, like, conditioned for how women should interact with women, which is, like, even if you're not interested, smile, nod, act like you're interested. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up. Because, actually, I, I just wrote before you said that uh, in my notes at the end, like, lessons for girls, like, question mark. Like, okay. Um, so what I'm, what I'm curious to hear you talk about, and you can talk about this as we go forward, so they posit that idea, but do they sufficiently undercut it as the episode mm. goes on? That's what I want to pay attention to. Because it's one thing to bring that up, but yeah. but you need to tear it apart, too. Yeah. That's, I mean, unless you yeah. firmly believe that that's true, which it's not. Right. Right. And it's like, it, I think the first time I watched it, I was probably just annoyed by it. Now I'm sad by it as a 29-year-old. And so it mm-hmm. makes me wonder, like, where do you like how much of life do you have to see and how much of people do you have to see get hurt for that to have a different meaning than it does the first Mm -hmm. time you watch it when you're maybe a kid or a teen yeah like it just hits different and yeah i don't know we'll have to because the the crazy thing is we're gonna watch azula follow this advice right (laughs) yes (laughs) and like for a second it works but anyway we'll get right So um, Azula's like, well, that sounds really shallow and stupid. Let's try it. And so they do this kind of like mock meetup between them. And so Tylee pretends to be a man and she's like, hey, you're at this party too, right? And like kind of tries to approach uh, Azula. And Azula laughs so loudly and like with kind of a crazed sound. Like a forced laugh, yeah. Yes, that the entire party stops and like everyone turns and stares at her. So so far, not going great. Yes, um, I will say. I will say. I mean, if we're pointing to '80s movies, this is also an '80 '80s movie thing of like uh, teenagers trying to be like, how do I be someone else in order to be popular? So like, I can't point to a specific movie because every one of them is that. So, <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. Like, how do I get asked to prom? I just want to get asked to prom. What do I need to know? How do I need right. to do my hair? <laughs> so Zuko and May, um, they're sitting on a bench off in the corner of the room and they are bored. And May grumpily requests or like almost kind of demands that Zuko go get her some food because she's hungry. Well, she hints at first and he doesn't pick up on it. <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, like, go get me food. Come on. <laughs> Uh, and Azula, then we see her armed with these new skills of flirting that she learned from Tylee. She asks Chan for a tour of the house. Uh, and he immediately drops the drink that he was having with this other girl and goes with her for a tour. So like, okay, starting off all right. Um, and they go out on the deck and they're looking at the ocean waves coming in at night. And it's really beautiful. And um, Chan tries to make some small talk. So he says... Ember Island is a great place, if you like sand. And he's leaning against a railing, and he's really smug about this comment. And Azula laughs at this statement of fact, and um, just like Tylee said. 
And it encourages Chan. Now he thinks he's funny. So he's like, yeah, it's like, welcome to Sandyland. And they both start to laugh at his joke. Um, I don't expect you to know who the voice actor is of this, Sam. Actually, I'd be very surprised if you did. Did you look at any of this? No. I didn't, know. Okay, it's, it's another name that I'll probably not pronounce right. Eric Von Detten. Have you heard of him? Have not. There's not really a reason to, <laughs> to probably know his name. Like, I'm sorry, Eric, but like, not super well known. The one thing I do know him from is he was the teenage heartthrob in Princess Diaries. Okay. Did you ever see Princess Diaries? I have Sam? not. I have Okay, not. that didn't seem like timeline wise. Uh, yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe your thing. Yeah, maybe yes. not. Um, I think it was like middle school for me, so like I was the peak audience, right? Sure. And he plays basically the same role of like hot guy, girl has to change for him, then he's a ju- like just a jerk at the end, right? So like that's kind of his arc in that show or movie. That's his arc in this show. Thanks for spoiling Princess Diaries for me. Oh, that's only part of it, Sam. <laughs> I'm you kidding. Need to watch it. We'll have a watch party. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> so, um, we'll have an Eric Von Detten appreciation party. There we go. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so they both laugh, and then Azula compliments him and says, "Your arms look so strong," <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, I know." And then they kiss, um, naturally. And Azula kind of goes from flirty to manic in a number of seconds. And so they kiss, they're done kissing, and she's like, together, you and I will be the strongest couple in the entire world. We will dominate the earth. And she holds out her hands, and she has balls of blue fire floating above them. And Chan stares wide-eyed and dumbstruck, and he, like, shuffles off, and he's like, I gotta go. Um, not great. Yeah, <laughs> but it, it, yeah, and it, and it is that that it, I mean, Azu- if we want to compliment her, like Azula's built for bigger things than high school flirting. Yes, right. I mean, she really is built to dominate the world, and <laughs> this is beneath her. I mean, like that's it, kind of what it is. She actually probably should be with her father right now plotting the takeover of the world she's she's suited she's her gifts are suited for that yes and um when she is you know in her 20s 30s she'll find a lovely man who's also a monster and they will fall in love well it's interesting because i even wonder here like is she even really interested in like dating somebody right now or is this just another competition it's like i can't have Mm. tylee better than me at this i can't have these people looking at me as less than because she doesn't like she doesn't seem to care it's not like she's like like desperately like lovelorn and like it's like that she's nothing so i i do feel like this is this has just become another thing for her to dominate and not yeah That's that's true because this show is really good about show like it's obvious when somebody has interest in someone else like they will play out a gaze or a stare or like they they're really good at making it known when someone's interested and she doesn't have any of that for Chan like no lingering glances or anything it's just yeah. like I this is a territory I have not conquered I want to conquer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um then we go inside to the party and a man bumps into Zuko as, uh, and makes him drop this plate of dumplings that he was carrying. 
And he says, watch it. That food was for my cranky girlfriend. And he gestures toward May, but he sees that she is now engaging in a very interesting conversation with Ron Jian. So Zuko storms over and pushes him aside and slams him into a wall and smashes a vase. And May stands up and says, Zuko, what is wrong with you? Your temper is out of control. You blow up over every little thing. You are so impatient and hot-headed and angry. And Zuko says, well, at least I have, I can feel something as opposed to you. You have no passion for anything. You're just a big blah. And so hurt, May turns away and says, we're over. And then we have Chan running in from his strange encounter with Azula. And he sees that somebody had has broken his Nana's vase. And when he learns it's Zuko, he kicks him out of the party. I, I I think this is such an interesting moment with May and and Zuko the like almost like the airing of grievances moment that it's like okay mm-hmm. we've they both have this thing about the other person that um I don't know if it bothers them but it is something they clearly think about and then all of a sudden in this moment it comes out and it's like mm-hmm. okay that was you know and 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 you know one person commenting on the other then seems to necessitate the other person snapping back and they both have put something on the table now. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I just found that to be a very, very interesting thing because in truth, like I don't think that either of those things are things that they actually dislike in the other person. They're just like need something to lash out with. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So then um, we have a scene. It's I think the only scene in the, in the episode where it's completely quiet We don't have any dialogue and there's hardly any music really. And it's just Zuko walking along the beaches of Ember Island and having a series of flashbacks. And so we see him alone on a beach and he has a flashback in the sapia tone of himself and Azula and an adult figure. It's hard to tell if it's their mother or their father or who it is, but they're running through a field. Um, We kind of see it from far away, just their silhouettes. And then we see another still image from another flashback, and this is of preteen Zuko, so before he has his scar, and someone's hand is on his shoulder. And I think we have seen this flashback before. I'm not mm-hmm. entirely sure, but I know another one we'll see in a second. Um, we have seen before. I know we've and seen then- this. We've seen this one. Um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to. Th- I, I don't remember where it was, but but I know this was not an image that was brand new to me. Yeah. Yes. And then uh, we see one more flashback of him as a younger child and a baby, which looks like it would be baby Azula, but like the age gap seemed a little bit strange. But um, regardless, baby Azula, we'll say. And then a man playing in the sand at sunset and they're all laughing. But... I did you know who the man was? No, and I, I now I remember where the other picture comes in, um, and it's in one of the first episodes of season two. Uh, the it might even be the first episode when when Iroh and Zuko when they cut their the ponytails. Mm. There's this image because there there's a series of because that's when Azul is trying to get Zuko to come back, and I remember it feeling at that point like maybe that arm around around him was Iroh and not yeah. his father. Cause there was, so it sort of posed this question. So yeah. So I don't know. I mean, maybe this is uncle Iroh playing with them. Like the, again, it's all kind of in like silhouettes and it's really con- like 
there's heavy contrast. So it's hard to tell who it is body shape wise. Like it looks like uh, there's a little more to love there <laughs> than, than, uh, than we see with um, Ozai, like Ozai. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much we've seen of him yet, but I remember from later episodes, spoiler alert, he is very fit, skinny, mm -hmm. but like strong, right? Like very mm -hmm. fit man. And so it doesn't seem to match the body. Anyway, might be Iroh. I don't know why I'm dwelling on this so long. I'm just very interested. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so well, I have a um, feeling I have a feeling because we've seen some of these before that these were these are I mean, the way storytelling works is we'll see these again at some other point and we'll realize what those images really are. So we may be reading them correctly or we may be reading them incorrectly, but mm. we're, we're they're definitely having us emphasize they're definitely emphasizing these. So I think they're worth paying attention to. Yeah, and so that last flashback um they're playing in the sand at sunset and they're all laughing. So one key theme of all these flashbacks, they are not traumatic flashbacks. It's not something damaging or, or terrifying um, or violent, but it's all really happy. Like they seem like a nuclear family, like, like just the average happy family that gets along and mm -hmm. uh, enjoys their time together on summer vacation. So then we see Zuko walk along to an abandoned house and it's Ozai's lake home, the, the lake home from their childhood. Which is interesting breaks, that they don't, that they don't stay there. Right. They're staying with Lo and Lee. And so this place, like it looks like a haunted house. It is abandoned. There's furniture, but like, it seems like if you were to turn the lights on, there would just be dust on everything. Mm-hmm. And so he opens the locked front door, he breaks it open, and he stands in this big open entry space, and everything is illuminated with this gray, hazy light. And so we see that there's a family portrait hanging immediately on the wall in front of the main door. And as he scans over the different people in the family portrait, he has different flashbacks. So First, he looks at his dad's hand that's resting on his own shoulder in the portrait. And he remembers another moment when his father had done that. It's a flashback that we see, I want to say, maybe in season one, when uh, Zuko and Iroh are going to split up for some reason. Anyway, it might it might have been that other moment too, but I'm pretty sure we see this one before as well. Again, unsure who the hand was, but makes me think maybe that was his dad. Mm -hmm. um, and then he looks at his mother's face and he remembers her playing with baby Azula and they're both laughing and giggling as well. And he grabs this stone or this piece of clay that's on the mantle next to him and sees the uh, baby handprint on it, his own. And he traces it with his hand. And then we go back to the Aangang. And they're asleep along the hot springs. And Toph wakes up to what she says feels like a metal man approaching them. She's like, you're not going to believe me, but it feels like a metal man is coming. And Aang rubs his eyes uh, kind of sleepily, but also because there's this beam of thin and blinding light that's illuminating his face. So he kind of rubs his eyes to... to, to clean clean his vision and he sees that the source of the beam of light is from the moon reflecting off of metal armor and so we see the assassin who's standing on top of a cliff high above them uh poised for attack apparently according to avatar wiki he's called combustion man i don't love that no me either <laughs> <laughs> i like just calling him the assassin yeah let's go with that 
Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Combustion Man uh, sounds like something from a video game. You know, right? Like, yeah. like a cheesy one. Yeah. yeah. So Aang sees uh, the assassin move slightly, um, and Aang is able to run out of the way just in time as the assassin breathes deeply and like his rippling abs like suck in and shoots rays of energy that explode on impact. So it's like, it almost looks like sonar, like, so like, I can't explain it. How would you explain it, Sam, visually? I mean, it's, it's, I think you're right that it feels like, like there's this like shock wave that comes through, but it's like a laser, but it has this like explosive quality to it. Yeah. It's, it is a power we have not seen in this show. Yes. And, and it source- seems, it seems greater than any, than almost any power we have seen. Yeah. And it's sourced from the tattoo in the center of um, his head, his forehead, mm-hmm. where the, the third eye is, his third eye tattoo. Let, let, let me actually re-say what I said. It's not more powerful than anything, because the most powerful thing we've seen is Avatar State Aang, right? Right. This seems like it like he wields a power close to that. Yeah. Yes, I mean, like it seems not- like it could sweep across and destroy. Like, my, one of the things I wrote in in my notes was like, why is this guy not running the world? Like, he seems like the most powerful person we've encountered besides Avatar State Aang. Right. Um, yeah, because it's like it seems qualitatively different than bending. Like, it's mm-hmm. like it's just a different thing entirely. But it seems entirely destructive. Like, yes. where bending has the power, this power to like build up and create like this seems like we only see it destroy right right so the team uh they're able to kind of scramble away find safety uh but as they do each of the benders tries to stop the assassin using the earth water and air right and they're all these masters at these elements but again to no avail like you were saying this is kind of over and above bending and then we go back to azula who walks up the stairs to their parents' old lake home and sees Zuko sitting outside on the porch, um, staring at his handprint in the clay. She said, I thought I'd find you here. Zuko says, those summers we spent here seem so long ago. So much has changed. And Azula, not forcefully like usual, but kind of like pensively, thoughtfully says, come down to the beach with me. Come on, this place is depressing. And so she invites Zuko to come with her. And Zuko I, I follows loved, her. I love this moment because it is like this oddly tender moment between the two siblings, which we, I don't think have ever seen. Cause even when we see her seeming to care for Zuko, she seems to be working an angle and she does not right now. Yeah. It's really sincere. And so Zuko follows her and he leaves behind the handprint that he was holding. He leaves it on the porch. And so then down on the empty beach, Azula and Zuko join Tylee and May, who are there already. And May extends an olive branch to Zuko and says, hey, right, like <laughs> trying to have a conversation with him. And Zuko responds with, where's your boyfriend? And he sits next to her anyway uh, and asks if she's cold and he tries to put an arm around her, but she smacks it away. And Tylee says in kind of an over-exaggerating way, I'm freezing. And so Zuko's like, okay, okay, I'll make a fire. And he looks up at the lake home and he says, I'm going to use like the remnants of the lake home for this fire. He says there's plenty of stuff to burn there. Yeah. Yeah. 
So then we go back to the assassin who uh, continues shooting at the Aang gang as they hide behind a crater wall. And uh, the gang jump on Appa to retreat and Aang glides up then over the crater and he runs through these kind of stone pillars and mountains on the ground above the crater because he wants to distract the assassin from finding his friends. Did you have a sense of what those stone pillars were? Like it was just like this field full of like, yeah. It looked like um like an artist was waiting to carve into each of them. Like it was really straight. It was like human shaped, like human sized pillars that like didn't yeah. really seem like they would naturally be there, right? Yeah. It makes me wonder like how would the creators explain that space? It's perfect for Aang to run away from this guy in, but like what is it? I thought right, it was yeah. was it like a like a weird it's because it's like it's ordered so it's like a petrified forest except it's a petrified orchard where like everything is planted in even rows and then they all just became petrified stone pillars or something yeah like is this some yeah testing area i don't know it's super weird like because it's it is ordered so it's like this was set up by someone but why Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so Aang, but yeah, you're right. Like it's convenient. He gets to evade and avoid behind stone pillar after stone pillar. And the assassin just keeps exploding each of these pillars one by one as Aang runs behind them. But Aang is at one point able to do this really cool shot that's in slow motion where he jumps up, uh, turns around and can redirect some of the energy from the assassin's attack with airbending and then like shoot and redirect the explosion elsewhere um but finally he's able to escape by encasing himself in stone he like becomes a stone man (laughs) and uh, hides in a pillar and then like launches himself into the air and lands on appa flying above right so like convenient escape but he makes it out of there and as they fly off katara is like he has to know who we are right like this is not just um coincidence right right He's tracking us. So then back at the fire, here is, I think, you would probably say where we have the most Breakfast Club moment. This is, this is where it goes full Breakfast Club. I mean, it, <laughs> it, it, hasn't really, it hasn't really done it at all yet, and now it goes completely there. And we get a lot of dialogue, so I, my apologies. It's going to be me talking back and forth quite a bit. I'm excited. so uh at the fire zuko we see him throwing in the family portrait and we watch it slowly burn around his face and ty lee asks like why are you burning your family portrait don't you won't you want to keep that and zuko says he doesn't care about it he says mind your own business you don't know me and ty lee shrugs and says i know you and zuko says no you don't you're stuck in your little ty lee world where everything's great all the time okay so so this there is this um moment where and and my daughter pointed out that one of the characters in the breakfast club is actually named bender which is very funny because oh we have yeah benders here um but but this this reminds me what he says to tylee reminds me of what uh bender says to claire about you know claire is like the kind of rich girl and he's like you know you you don't know me you don't know my experience you're just in this perfect little world it, like it is again one of these moments where it's almost a direct quote from the breakfast club i kind of want to take this episode and cut it up and just do it side by side with breakfast club with with scenes from it because there are so many moments where it's like 
perfect. Do you think someone's done that? I wouldn't be surprised. They yeah. should. Like it's an it's an obvious YouTube video to make. I'm gonna search for it later and send it All to right. you. <laughs> Sounds good. So Zuko is picking on Tylee, uh, and May kind of begs her to to just let it be, to leave her alone. And Zuko continues. He's like, look at me. I'm so pretty. I can walk on my hands, circus freak. And it's the second time that she's been called circus freak. The first time was by Katara, right? So, like, Zuko knows where he knows how to push someone's buttons and, like, mm -hmm. hit her where it hurts. And Azula laughs at his joke, which is never a good sign <laughs> for being a good person. <laughs> and Tylee tears up and says, yeah, I am a circus freak. Go ahead and laugh all you want. You want to know why I joined the circus? Do you have any idea what my home life was like? And Azula's like, oh, great. Here we go. Sob story. And Tylee continues without even listening. It says, growing up with six sisters who look exactly like me. It was like I didn't even have my own name. I joined the circus because I was scared of spending the rest of my life as a part of a matched set. At least I'm different now. Circus freak is a compliment. So I, I just even even the use of the word home life. Do you have any idea what my home life was like? There's this I mean this running thing in the Breakfast Club where the um, the Ali Sheedy character talks about. Uh, how her home life is unsatisfying and like, and this gets them. I mean, it's, it is a, it is a, a movie where everybody is talking about their parents, their parents' expectations for them, their relationship with their fa family and their parents. So when we got to this point, this is where I, where I just like my heart just raced and I was like, it's <laughs> full on. They're doing it. Yes. We get so much backstory of each of them. And like, the hardships of each of them. Yeah, and, and even the way that they do it is like somebody says something that's offensive bel and belittling and like under underestimating their story. And then they snap back with, you don't know me. Do you know what my family's like? And then they just lay it out. And it's like, and we're going to get the, each character do this. Yes. it's so, And it's so smooth and fluid between all of it. It's like... It was really captivating television. Yeah, well, because it's a captivating movie, and and I guarantee that they were so excited to write this because they were just like, we know how this feels, and when you do it right, you're just drawn in. Every person that starts to tell their story, you're just you just are like, I want to know more. Oh yes, for sure. I know. I wish this episode was like double the length so we could flesh it out a little more, and they could have just a little more campfire angst. That's don't right. You? So. Uh, so she says circus freak is a compliment and then now may seems to attack her friend and says guess that explains why you need 10 boyfriends too and tylee says excuse me and may goes attention issues you couldn't get enough attention when you were a kid so you're trying to make up for it now and tylee says well what's your excuse may you were an only child for 15 years, but even with all that attention, your aura is this dingy, pasty, gray, and May interrupts her and says, I don't believe in auras. And then Zuko butts in and goes, you don't believe in anything. And May says, oh, well, I'm sorry I can't be as high strung and crazy as the rest of you. And Zuko says, I wish you would be for once instead of keeping all your feelings bottled up inside. She just called your aura dingy. Are you going to take that? So, okay. Another Breakfast Club move here. So you have this group of people and you start with certain alliances 
and relationships and then they shift so it's like we're attacking where everybody's sort of teaming up on this person and then all of a sudden it's like wait now we're teaming up on may now we're you know so like like again they must have loved writing this <laughs> so may says also please continue i haven't seen the breakfast club mm-hmm. since high school so i don't even remember character names i need you to like butt in and let me know yep, when yep, there's yep. any reference yep. okay good because i will miss it so may says what do you want from me do you want a teary confession about how hard my childhood was even that is like it's like they're joking about this like do what do you want me to just do a breakfast club scene right now it basically <laughs> is what she's saying it's like a meta joke yeah yes. <laughs> she says well my childhood wasn't hard i was a rich only child who got anything i wanted as long as I behaved and sat still and didn't speak unless spoken to. My mother said I had to keep out of trouble. We had my dad's political career to think about. And Azula says, well, that's it then. You had a controlling mother who had certain expectations, and if you strayed from them, you were shut down. That's why you're afraid to care about anything and why you can't express yourself. It's also super interesting that they're just like sitting around and like, digging in, into each other's like psychological trauma it's just like trying to come up with these narratives for one another right and they're all like pretty insightful psychologists as it turns yeah, out right. <laughs> but like like uh, when i when i when you read that i was like well done azula you were listening well and like you just got to the heart of the matter right it's like you didn't make this about you either azula it's kind of nice for once um and may says you want me to express myself leave me alone and then Zuko, not knowing the social cues, is like, I really like it when you express yourself like that. And he tries to reach out and touch her. And she's like, don't touch me. I'm still mad at you. Like, this is not an invitation for you to touch me. And so Zuko says, well, my life hasn't been that easy either. And May goes, that doesn't excuse the way you've been acting. And Ty Lee senses everybody is kind of getting angry and she's like we all need to calm down this negative energy is bad for our skin trying to make it like lighten the mood not a great thing to say though no zuko is triggered so he says bad skin normal teenagers have to worry about bad skin i don't have that luxury my father decided to teach me a permanent lesson on my face for so long i thought that if my dad accepted me i'd be happy so okay another this is this is a great breakfast club moment because there's a moment where bender um somebody's somebody sort of rips into him and he's and he starts to describe um what happens in his house when you accidentally spill a can of paint on the garage floor and he rolls up his sleeve and he shows a scar on his arm and he Mm -hmm. says that looks like about the width of a of a cigar doesn't it so like showing a scar a literal burning scar he got from his father and Zuko's like talking about a burning scar he got from his father he might have if if he had said smoke up Johnny at that point I would have been like perfect perfect (laughs) everything is done season is done yes it's a walk-off homer at that point (laughs) so he says so he's like yeah I don't have that luxury my dad taught me a permanent lesson on my face and he says for so long All I thought I wanted was for my dad to accept me. I'd be happy. I'm back home now and my dad talks to me. He even thinks I'm a hero. Everything should be perfect, right? I should be happy now, but I'm not. I'm angrier than ever and I don't know why. 
And Asula says, there's a simple question you need to answer then. Who are you angry at? And Zuko says, no one. I'm just angry. Okay. Uh, you missed a part here because you didn't know it was a great Breakfast Club reference. When she asked oh, that oh, question, no. he doesn't want to answer it. And everybody keeps saying, just answer the question. Just answer the question, which exactly happens in the Breakfast Club. There's there's a <laughs> moment where everybody's, I think it's to Claire. And I think... Um, I think they're they're asking her if she's a virgin and and it's and then uh-huh. and she won't say and then everybody's like well just answer the question Claire just answer the question and they do the exact thing here where everybody's telling him like just answer it just answer yeah, it yeah just digging into it yes <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. unrelenting yeah so Zuko's like at first he's like no I'm uh, no one I'm just angry everyone I don't know and Azula's like, is it dad? And Tylee's like, your uncle, right? So they're all like trying to feed him these different answers. And he's getting super exasperated, like you're saying. And like, no, no, like it's none of those things. And we kind of like see him even grab at his hair. Like he's going crazy just hearing everybody ask him. And finally he says, I'm angry at myself. And when he yells that, he firebends the campfire to rise like a pillar into the sky. Um, but his anger is just there for a flash. And it subsides. And as it does, the campfire goes down and we just have a patch of flickering embers left behind. Did you write embers on on purpose there? Yeah, I did. Okay. (laughs) Just milking it. (laughs) Nice. So Zuko says uh, he's angry because he's confused. He says, I'm not sure I know the difference between right and wrong anymore. And Azula says, you're pathetic. But May embraces him and kisses him. And tells him that she cares about him. And Azula gives the series' second slow clap at the performance and says, Well, those were wonderful performances, everybody. And a slow clap is also an 80s standby. So it's <laughs> it's perfect. They must have had so much fun. They, this must have been a blast. Seriously. And Zuko says sarcastically that Azula wouldn't understand that she's just so perfect. And Azula says, well, yes, I, I guess you're right. I don't have sob stories like the rest of you. I could sit here and complain about how our mom liked Zuko more than me, but uh, I don't really care. And she stares at the pile of embers and says, my own mother thought I was a monster. And there's a long pause and we get a, a glimpse of everyone's face. And then Azula's like, she's right, of course, but it still hurt. <laughs> like, I, I, I love am a that. monster. <laughs> <laughs> her line delivery was perfect. Um, and Tylee says then, you know, what Lo and Lee said came true. The beach did help us learn about ourselves. I feel all smoothed. I'll always remember this. And Azula says, you know what would make it more memorable? And then we get a knock at the door to Chan's house, which I also, this also, I don't know. I don't know 80s things as well as you, but this also felt like that too, like going back, getting back at the bully, like kind of like messing up things, well, pranking well, people. He, he, okay, here's actually the 80s part of it. And, and they, they kind of okay. reverse something here. Um, there are lots of movies and I was trying to, I'm trying to pinpoint one because I can like picture, I think it's such a trope that I one doesn't jump, what well, specific one doesn't jump to mind where there's the parents are gone. There is a party and things get out of hand and then usually usually in the story they mean the house gets trashed but usually in the story you're tracking the people who 
are throwing the party. That's those are your heroes, right? So it's all about how yeah. do we clean up and how do we make it so as the parents are pulling in, you're just putting the last piece away and you made it and they then they'll never know. But here we get the opposite version of the story, which is that is what's going to happen to Chan. But this isn't Chan's story. So we actually are seeing the people who trash the house instead because you need the house trashing. It's just if if this story went in a different direction, we would have the, the, the story of the rest of the night where Chan and his friend were working desperately to try to like glue the vase together, the, the Nana's vase together. So people don't know and trying to like, how do we make sure that our parents don't know that we threw a party? It's just, that's not the story we're telling, but they have the scene here and I love it. Yeah. And I think it's a lot more interesting angle anyway. Right. Yes, so, absolutely. They, they go to the same door, knock on Chan's um, door. It opens. And just like before um, they greet him, but this time <laughs> The, the scary girls are back with bad news for Chan. And we get <laughs> Zuko saying, party's over. And it feels like a great one-liner. And so then we get a montage of the friends smashing furniture. May shoots what looks like playing cards. <laughs> like arrows and slashes through a bunch of these like ornate paintings. Ty Lee swings from chandelier to chandelier, causes them all to fall. And by the end, the house is in ruins and Chan is crying. Like, I think there's like fire around them. And we end with this still shot of the four friends and they're standing with flames behind them, victorious. And they're all like showing their different emotions, their different kind of personality in their pose. Yeah. Uh, and that's how it ends. And I would say the eighties ends with a good, a lot of eighties movies end with a good freeze frame. So this yes. is a good, this is a good version of that. So well, <laughs> well done writers of this show so good it's like there's so much that happens in this episode but again it's not really about plot like n- plot isn't really moved that much like yeah, even I mean, the assassin stuff isn't really needed it just it just introduces that character to the ang gang but that's about right. it because it's conceivable that we could have our next episode the the Aang gang and not in contact with him at all. It's just now that they're, what it does is it gives them a motivation to keep moving right? because they know somebody's hunting them. So it actually works pretty well, but, but you're right. Like you could have easily put that into the first two minutes of any other episode. And so, so this episode is inessential in that way. Right. But it's, but I think it's, it's actually really great. Um, and, and I, I do like how, we learned about the the four characters at the beach. Um, we kind of learned stuff that we knew, but we learned that they're aware of the stuff that we know, you know, yeah. that it's not like none of them are oblivious to who they are, to why they are the way that they are. That doesn't mean that they're fixed. Like being aware of those things doesn't fix, doesn't fix the issue, but it is interesting that they all know it. It's, it's even interesting that Azula articulates a kind of, um, a kind of Trump childhood trauma, <laughs> You know, of like my mother thought I was a monster. And now again, she says she's right. I am. Um, but even that speaks to like how damaged she is. Like mm-hmm. who thinks of themselves as a monster? Mm-hmm. Right. Like that's, that's troubling. Yeah. And so maybe it's like not knowing social cues and knowing how to interact at a party. Isn't the biggest thing for her to figure out, right? Yeah. Like she's got, yeah. she's got some internal trauma to deal with. Cause it sure feels like she said, well, if you're going to treat me like this, I'm going to become, I'm going to embrace that and become it. Yeah. You know, 
she's just living up to expectations uh which is interesting i like it makes me wonder like is ozai also a monster is ozai like i don't know because we we don't know him much yet like like is azula uh uh a version of her father or is is uh she just a total one of one like there is no other like yeah. her yeah i think too about like the family dynamics if mm, this episode's great because again i do not obviously azula's terrible and like diabolical and everything but mm, i liked her by the end even though mm -hmm. she's all of those things and it even made us think about the rest of the family a little bit differently like with the portraits and the flashbacks it's like oh there was a time when it was good and I don't know that I ever really thought that that was the case. I think I looked at it really black and white, uh, abusive dad, like uh, silenced mother, right? Like, mm -hmm. but right. there was a time when things were maybe fine or, or, or like, and maybe that's how these things happen. It's like, there's good and there's bad. And like, you kind of float between the two and um, until something comes to a head. Uh, but like, that's its own version of, trauma that like, right. it's not always going to be bad <laughs> like absolutely a slow burn kind yeah of. so so uh other questions i had coming out of this or observations so i don't I, I i wrote this but now i don't know that this is true the fire nation knows about the avatar i don't know that that's true because it because if we take as canonical the deleted scene then actually the assassin knows but the assassin's the only one who knows and he does not seem deeply connected to the fire nation per se mm -hmm. um and then i just have questions about like who is this assassin where does his power come from is that going to be explained more um and like i said before why is he not the one who's the most powerful person running things <laughs> why is he like a a, a gunman for hire like that doesn't make like yes. that doesn't make sense he seems like he could destroy a whole navy with that with that power like right like like so i'm curious to learn more about him and i'm it sure seems like they've painted themselves into a corner with how powerful this guy is so i'm i really want to learn more about him mm -hmm. um uh okay so another th and this is a breakfast club this is a question that they actually ask in the breakfast club that i want to ask you about your thoughts on this, which is there's a point towards the end of the movie where they start. So this movie takes place on a Saturday and I think Brian, the nerdy one brings up like, so what happens on Monday when we're, we all go back to school. Cause now we've had this moment of connection. We've like learned about each other. We've kind of started to understand each other a little bit more. So, so it's like, what happens the next day? So I'm, what I'm curious about is does, and it doesn't have to, but does this, conversation or set of conversations end up mattering are they just some is it just something that happened at the beach and they're all going to click back into their normal roles which would be very realistic and very human or mm -hmm. do the nature of those relationships shift a little bit because they've had this kind of intense evening of therapy together yeah yeah that's a good question especially coming out of like what Lo and lee were saying with the beach will smooth you and like y it will change you fundamentally and 
I hope that's true. Like I kind of like I really hope that that would be the case. But yeah, I mean, if you if know. you believe in therapy at all, like like this <laughs> should help it to some degree. Um, yeah. But I also don't think it's going to be an immediate change or maybe not a change at all. But 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 it is. It, it will be interesting to see. It'll also be interesting to see if we ever encounter. I assume we'll encounter Azula and Zuko's family a little bit more mm. because. Ozai is their father and I I assume we'll get some more flashbacks on that stuff and Iroh's part of that family but will we ever learn will we ever encounter Tylee's family because it sounds like she's one of six siblings who are pretty matchy matchy which is fascinating to think about um, mm-hmm. uh, will we ever see May's family again because right. um, we did actually have an episode with them very early on and um, her little baby brother right right Tom Tom yeah and uh so and then and then just i have just some general questions like where do we go from here like like mm-hmm. where this is one that doesn't shoot us directly to we, we see the Aang gang flying off we see them at the you know destroying this party but like i i don't know what the next episode can be like it doesn't yeah. sometimes they point to oh well clearly this is where they're headed don't know where they're headed which is exciting to me actually because i trust the people telling the story that wherever we go is going to be exciting. Um, and then, you know, I, I'm just on the lookout for Iroh and white Lotus, you know, <laughs> yeah. I would love if it turns out that the assassin was actually like part of the white Lotus and they end up, oh. that's how he's not, how he ends up not killing Aang is there's this realization, except that the, the assassin knows that Aang is the avatar. So like, that, that can't be the case because a white Lotus person, I can't imagine would try to hunt down and kill the avatar. Although Iroh maybe kind of was. So I don't know. I don't know what the White Lotus's agenda is. Right. And it's hard to even know Iroh's agenda <laughs> as an individual. Like, That's other true. Other than helping Zuko, right? Like, that, it's not... that is true. Yeah. Although he seems to transcend nation. That seems yes. clear. Um, yes. Which makes me wonder, did he even have any interest in actually being Fire Lord anyhow? I don't know. Mm. I, I'd also like to know when does he encounter the White Lotus in his life? Is it after the death of Lu Tang and the and this what happens at Ba Sing Se? Is it before then? Like, does he have some some of his own lost days after Ba Sing after Ba Sing Se, mm. where he goes and walks the earth and encounters the White Lotus? And is that why? Like, because he's not at his father's funeral. Like, yeah. is that where he is at that point? Yeah, I'd love to watch I that. Know. Me too. Like a, almost like a conversion story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, know. absolutely. Like, like, mm. and I, I assume we're going to get some of that story because we, I feel like we have to know more about that stuff, but I, I also know that, I mean, the clock is ticking. There's 16 episodes left. Like, I don't know how much room they have to tell us some of that stuff, but um, I'm actually really interested in, where is I? Because we know that Iroh is back in the Fire Nation when Zuko gets banished because he's mm-hmm. he's talking to him before Zuko goes into the war room and all that stuff. So, but I I just I there's some pieces to his biography that I'm really interested in. Um, that hopefully will, I assume will come with White Lotus, but I don't know. Yeah, we just need yeah. a book or a movie on him. That's, That's right. That's right. Annie, this was this was great. I hope you came to like this episode more than you did originally. Oh, yes, absolutely. 
turned around entirely this watch for sure. I highly recommend sitting down and watching the breakfast club. Cause it will make this I, episode more fun to watch it again. And to, cause you will notice like, Oh, that's, I see what they did there. And yeah. And it's just a fun I movie. Want to to. Watch. Yeah. I really want to. All right. That is all the time that we have for this week. We will be back next week with book three fire chapter six, the avatar and the fire Lord. Mm-hmm.